0: It is Monday, January 22nd, 2024, and this is Ozarks at Large on Matthew Moore. Today, how the federal farm bill impacts people in Arkansas.
1: Just in Arkansas, 15% of households are now food insecure, and distressingly, the rate is higher for children, with about one out of every five children in Arkansas struggling to have enough to eat on a regular basis.
0: Plus, the state's deep connection with Miss America.
2: Miss America
3: is Miss Arkansas Savvy Shields.
0: And an Arkansas musical tragedy from decades ago.
4: Nothing has ever been proven regarding any malfeasance in the Jesse Belvin accident. Belvin and his entourage weren't the only persons of note to perish in the two-car crash either. Up first, this hour's news from NPR.
5: Support comes from Gotta Hold Brewing in Eureka Springs, open year-round, even in the winter. Gotta Hold has a calendar of events including live music, local art, theology on tap, and more. Providing craft beer, games, and Just Be coffee bar and twisted taco food truck. More at gottahold.beer. The Clinton School of Public Service is now accepting applications for its online degree program. Clinton School Online is built for public service professionals looking to advance their careers without relocating or disrupting their personal lives. More information at clintonschool.uasys.edu or by calling the Office of Admissions, 501-683-5228. This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, January 22nd, 2024.
0: I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for being with us today. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Later on our show, we go behind the curtain and beyond the catwalk. Randy Dixon, with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History, brings us archives on the connections between Arkansas and the Miss America Pageant. That's in about 15 minutes. First today... Congress is in the midst of negotiating a new farm bill, which provides billions of dollars in food and agricultural programs. One of those programs, the Emergency Food Assistance Program, is looking to double its funding. Vince Hall, Government Relations Officer for Feeding America, says the spending is necessary as more Americans turn to food banks for help. Hall spoke with
6: Ozarks at Large's Janet Carruth last week. Uh, So, Vince, you know, it's time to kind of fight over the Farm Bill again in Congress. Uh, Can you just walk through, you know, why this is something that Feeding America is talking about, how it impacts hunger and food security, and why it's a mantle that you guys want to take up?
1: Well, the Farm Bill is a vitally important piece of legislation that comes around only once every five years um, and has programs that are vitally important to farmers, but also important to food banks. Uh, Chief amongst those is the Emergency Food Assistance Program, sometimes called TFAP. And this program uh, bridges the gap from local farms uh, to local food banks, helping to move uh, healthy, fresh foods that are important to our mission of solving hunger to the food banks that are going to distribute them in rural and urban communities uh, throughout Arkansas. And we're asking that Congress consider doubling its investment in the emergency food assistance program and making it possible for food banks to serve every family in need. Uh, The the truth is food banks are seeing some of the highest demand they've ever seen, even higher than the peak of the pandemic. And so it's really important that Congress help us to uh, close the gap between the food that's donated and the food that is needed uh, to solve hunger.
6: Yeah. And I want to take a look at just from your perspective, from Feeding America's perspective, what is the state of hunger and food insecurity in the U.S. right now? What are we seeing? Is it getting worse than it has been in the past few years? And maybe who's most affected by that? Who's most vulnerable?
1: Well, you know, according to data from USDA, hunger has soared in the United States, um, particularly since some of the pandemic era programs have been rolled back. Just in Arkansas, 15% of households are now food insecure, and distressingly, the rate is higher for children with about one out of every five children in Arkansas struggling to have enough to eat on a regular basis. So uh, we're very concerned about that, and uh, when you look at the, the number of people facing hunger, it becomes obvious that there are people in everybody's life, whether they know it or not, who are struggling with hunger. It could be a child in our kid's classroom. It could be a neighbor or a coworker. It could be a military family that's stationed in a community but not paid enough to afford to live in that community, a senior citizen who's uh, struggling in their golden years to have a a dignity and quality of life, Uh, or even just somebody who has fallen on hard times and is anxious to get back on their feet. Whatever is going on, it's difficult for anybody to 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 learn and thrive in school or to uh, perform well on the job if they begin and end the day uh, on a on an empty stomach. And so feeding America food banks are working very hard throughout Arkansas and throughout the country to make sure that people have access to the healthy, nutritious food they need to thrive.
6: And I want to also look at, you know, as you know, Arkansas is a we're a fairly rural state. Can you just talk about why hunger is more common in rural areas? and what that type of hunger looks like compared to maybe a suburban or urban area.
1: Uh, With rural hunger, uh, you're you're talking about communities that are uh, smaller in number, uh, more remote, and inflation has really taken a bite out of food banks' ability to cost-effectively reach every corner, but yet they still do it. They're still committed to it. Um, But the cost of fuel to, to move trucks out to those communities, the cost of labor... Uh, the costs of of cold storage, uh, because a lot of what food banks are are doing is not just shipping canned and boxed food, but also shipping uh, fresh produce and healthy proteins. So all of these costs are higher in rural communities, but rural counties make up about 63% of all counties in the United States, but 87% of the counties with the highest rates of food insecurity are rural counties. So, uh, not only is the cost of solving rural hunger higher for food banks, but the need in rural communities is higher, and and that combination is a, is a difficult challenge that food banks readily accept, but we're trying to educate Congress to that reality so that they will support a bigger investment in the Emergency Food Assistance Program during this upcoming Farm
5: Bill.
6: Yeah, and so can we talk about that a little bit? You know, what are the increases that that you guys are looking for in this Farm Bill to that emergency assistance food program? And how will that money be used? What are the specifics of that?
1: Sure, so currently the emergency food assistance program is about $450 million per year of federal spending. Uh, we're seeking to double that to about $900 million per year. And then over the five-year life of the farm bill, it would be adjusted uh, annually for inflation. That money is principally used to purchase crops from farmers and to move those crops, those finished products, canned goods, fresh produce, dairy products, uh, to local food banks. It is a, a significant source of food for those food banks, about 22% of all meals distributed by Feeding America food banks in Arkansas came from the emergency food assistance program. That's almost 13 million meals in one year. So it is a really, really important source of pounds of food on the loading dock of a food bank that they can then move out to their faith-based partners and to their nonprofit partners who distribute that food directly to families in need where it's not distributed directly by the food bank. Without that additional investment, we are deeply concerned that there is going to be uh, shortages in the coming years because we see sustained high demand, uh, unfortunately, but we also see a tightening of the supply chain. Uh, We've seen reductions in donated food in some places and we've seen reductions in the amount of funds that are donated to food banks. So inflation causes more families to face food insecurity, but it also makes it more expensive for food banks to solve food insecurity. And Congress can help to plug that gap through the Emergency Food Assistance Program.
6: And what does the political will look like at the at this juncture? You know, what is the likelihood of this bill getting passed in, in the form that you guys are hoping for?
1: Well, it's a great question, Daniel. I mean, we we find it hard to predict what Congress will do. In the past, the Farm Bill has been a bipartisan piece of legislation. There, there, there has been a coming together of both parties around the Farm Bill in ways that are supportive of the Emergency Food Assistance Program. We are very optimistic and hopeful that if everybody comes together, if we all use our voice collectively, that we can achieve a doubling of the Emergency Food Assistance Program funding in the Farm Bill. The consequence of not doing it could be very significant and bad for our neighbors that are that are facing hunger. Uh, the benefits of doing it are enormous, including lower health care costs and uh, better learning in school and better uh, performance on the job. There there are so many um, benefits from solving hunger. There are there are no benefits from turning a blind eye to hunger. So. We're hopeful that everybody will use their voice. Everybody will come together and help us to achieve this policy goal in the Farm Bill.
6: And then finally, you know, what, what needs to happen to address some of these beyond the Farm Bill? What needs to happen to address some of those underlying issues of food insecurity and hunger in the U.S.?
1: Well, we have to start uh, asking some, some very deep uh, questions about why it is that people who are working two jobs In some cases, working two jobs and picking up gig economy work, who are are the hardest working people you'll ever meet in your life, are still struggling with food insecurity. Um, About 40% of the people that came to food banks during the pandemic had never been to a food bank before. And many of those families have found it very, very difficult to stop relying on charitable food assistance. So they have essentially worked the food bank into their monthly budget equation because of the higher costs of rent, fuel, energy, uh, healthcare, and other essentials that presents an extraordinary challenge for food banks because we really should be a source of temporary help as people work to get back on their feet and not a sustaining monthly, uh, part of, 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 of a family's budget. So the underlying, uh, issues around, uh, wages and, um, uh, uh, retirement security and uh, healthcare costs and other issues are are complex, but uh, the the charitable food system is expected to be there and is proud proud to be there as a safety net for those who find themselves um, unable to to nourish themselves and their families. Um, our ability to do that is really dependent on the generosity of local communities, but also on the help that we get from the federal government.
0: Vince Hall is Government Relations Officer for the nonprofit group Feeding America. He spoke with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth over the phone last week. Daniel produces his stories inside the Karen Taha News Studio. Later this hour, Arkansas and the Miss America pageant.
7: And so many people have said, What was it like when? You heard your name called out, and it was like the, the flashback of all that many years of training and working and preparation and how proud I was to be representing Arkansas.
0: Brandy Dixon from the Prior Center is with us on this Monday edition of Ozarks at Large.) <laughs> Major League Baseball will be in Northwest Arkansas this March. The Northwest Arkansas Naturals will be hosting their big league affiliate, the Kansas City Royals, at Arvest Ballpark in Springdale on March 25th. Justin Cole is the GM for the Naturals. He said in a press release that the Royals have been tremendous partners over the years and they could not be more excited to host the squad. Tickets are on sale now with prices ranging from $16 to $25 depending on the section. You can find more details at their website, nwanaturals.com. The University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences has found a significant drop in WIC usage occurring during and after the COVID-19 pandemic across the United States. Data shows that those who qualified for the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children dropped in participation from 66% to just under 58%. Dr. Claire Brown is a professor of public health at UAMS, and she says if a person qualifies for Medicaid, they also qualify for WIC. And protections were put in place to keep people enrolled on Medicaid throughout the pandemic-
8: And we thought perhaps WIC utilization could have been increased because people are already meeting those requirements uh, for for income. But because of the way that we designed the study and because we included individuals who are on WIC, we we already are kind of taking out that potential piece of the puzzle. So what, what we were looking at is did WIC change among those who have Medicaid coverage?
0: So in other words, what you're saying is even though more people were on Medicaid during this time, despite that, you still saw a drop. That's correct. Brown says there are two buckets of barriers when it comes to making sure that those who qualify for WIC are able to use it. The first is being able to sign up for WIC. The second, being able to actually use WIC.
8: So when we're thinking about signing up for WIC, there's lots of things that we can do to facilitate people signing up. So signing up for WIC requires conversations with the WIC offices. Those offices have certain hours. Think of kind of like the DMV. Perhaps not everyone can get to the DMV when it's a time that's convenient for them. The longer the hours Uh, The the more services that are available to individuals in their native language and the the easier to read the various forms are, all those types of things improve people's ability to sign up for the WIC services. The second bucket of barriers is actually using the services. So there are a limited number of stores that take WIC. There are specific types of products that are WIC eligible and even within a given product, there's even certain brands and things that are eligible for WIC. So the, the more we can increase the flexibility on the, at the product level or at the, at the um, grocery store or, or facility level, the better that people can use the services once they are actually enrolled.
0: Brown also says there are a whole host of things that may result in stigma and possible discrimination for people eligible for the program.
8: There are many populations who are fearful or hesitant to use any form of government program because they have to provide information to participate. And they may be worried about that. They may be fearful of. Uh, any form of discrimination or deportation or or something related to that. So certainly you have to provide certain documentations to participate in the programs. And and that can be uh, fearful for some individuals, but also there is a bit of a stigma associated with it. And that's something we have to strongly advocate to remove that if you're eligible for these programs, let's make sure the people who who are eligible can use them and, and use them without stigma. And there are ways that we can go about improving that, but, It's certainly something not – there shouldn't be a stigma associated with it.
0: You can find more information about WIC eligibility in Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Missouri on our website, ozarksatlarge.com.
2: This is Ozarks at Large. It's Monday. With me is Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. Hello, Kyle. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right. Here's what sometimes happens. You have a holiday (laughs) – A holiday week (laughs) with snow – And schedules just don't match up. Right. And we
3: do an encore performance.
2: Yes. So we are going to do an encore performance of our collection of prior Center Archives. This one first aired May 22nd of last year.
3: But it's relevant today. Because? Because of the new Miss America pageant
2: winner. It happened uh, earlier this month. Um, I don't think the pageant is on broadcast television anymore. I think it was webcast. I'm not sure.
3: Right. And the winner
2: was not Miss Arkansas, but is a Fort Smith native.
3: That's right. And she represented Miss Colorado, or as Miss Colorado, uh, because she is in the Air Force. She's actually an officer, a second lieutenant, yeah. and a pilot. Uh, so she graduated—oh, we should say her name.
2: Oh, uh, Madison Marsh. She graduated from Fort Smith Southside. That's Correct. Uh, And is also going to Harvard now? Yes.
3: Yes. So an Air Force Uh, pilot going to Harvard. She's an overachiever. Founded a nonprofit while still— For her mother. For her her, mother. Her mother mother died of uh, pancreatic cancer when uh, Madison was just 17, and she started the Whitney Marsh Foundation.
2: All right. So the reason that's relevant is we're going to hear what we did back in May about— previous Miss Arkansas who became Miss America.
3: That's right. And I do want to point out that uh, I had remembered this from my earlier TV days, but there was another Arkansan who became Miss America but did not represent Arkansas, and mm-hmm. that was Debbie Turner, uh, Jonesboro native, even went to ASU. Um, But then uh, attended University of Missouri, represented the state of Missouri as Miss Missouri, and won Miss America in 1990. All right. So so we we have two. So we apologize that we didn't
2: mention Debbie Turner before in what we're about to hear, but we are now. Right. And um, to Madison Marsh, the current reigning. Congratulations. Now, let's go back to May 22nd of last year. I think Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History, no matter your age, you probably at least casually
3: recognize what we just heard. Well, you know that song, maybe not the person singing, if you're our Mm age-ish, Yes, Uh, you would know that as Burt Parks. That's the only thing I ever knew him for as a kid, but singing the Miss America song. He would host the broadcast every year. I don't know what he did the rest of the year. But we're going to talk about Miss America. Specifically, three generations of Miss America – because they were from Arkansas. They were former Miss Arkansas who became Miss America. Donna Axum in the yes. mid-60s. 64. Elizabeth Ward in the early 80s. 82. And Savvy Shields not that long ago. Right. That was in 2017. So let's just profile – each one in chronological order. Okay. How's that? Fine with me. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so let's start with Donna Axum. Now, unfortunately, Donna, Donna Axum Whit- Whitworth uh, passed away in 2018, but as the prior center does, uh, we do extensive interviews with Arkansans, and she was one of them. So we have an extensive interview with Donna Axum from 2007. She spoke to Scott Lunsford, and uh, you can view that entire interview on our website, at the Prior Center website. But um, let's hear her crowning from 1964.
9: Miss Arkansas is Miss America of 1964.
3: All right, we're mighty proud of you, Donna.
7: Thank you, Mr. Parks. It's certainly a deep honor and a great responsibility.
2: Donna Axum, Miss Arkansas, becoming Miss America in 1964, uh, 59 years ago. And now let's hear a bit from that long-term interview.
3: Yes, and she talks about, you know, the. The moment she won, and she remembers it like it was yesterday.
7: As they peeled off the the runner-ups, they left, and the chair was taken away, and I was sitting there (laughs) with Miss District of Columbia, my first runner-up. We had uh, both worn the same gown. She had a a gold gown like mine. We both had the same swimsuit, and we had sung the same song. "I Love Paris. And there we sat, holding hands, as they do, like this. And so many people have said, what was it like when you heard your name called out? And it was like the, the flashback of all that many years of training and working and preparation and how proud I was to be representing Arkansas and the University of Arkansas. And I'd tear up when I say this. Well, But it was just the greatest moment for uh, my family and for my people my people were arkansas
2: also in that interview she talks a bit about
3: how she decided to do what she wanted to do that's right um and and that sort of uh was her part of her praise for the pageant system as they call it but um it actually did give her a start in the career that she Loved.
7: I think Mother and Daddy were were always supportive of uh, what I wanted to do, particularly in the performing arts areas, and, and saw that as a, an appropriate outlet uh, for my talent, even competing in Miss America competitions. Um, but I sort of, in their minds, had avant-garde type of ideas like this emerging industry called television. Mm-hmm. Mother always said, now, you need to go to college and... Uh, get a degree in secretarial science or you know, become a school teacher or a nurse. Mm-hmm. And in her mind, uh, those were the only three categories that women could excel in. Mm-hmm. And probably she was right back in those days, and that was in the you know, 50s, early 60s. Um, but I was more interested in uh, television. And as I started winning some of these early pageant titles, I would be on the Little Rock Stations. Mm-hmm. I was just fascinated by television. And so when I decided to go to the University of Arkansas, I chose radio, television, film, speech, and drama, and that was the combination of the, of the degree. And uh, sort of charted my own path, much to Mother and Daddy's chagrin.
3: She was the first ever host of Good Morning Arkansas, which followed Good Morning America. It was a KETV local show, and she did that in the late 70s and, and early 80s. Uh, she was also heavily involved in public affairs and community affairs and fundraising. And here's just a little clip of uh, a KTV program that she hosted about the goodwill.
7: Good evening, everyone. I'm Donna Axum, and we're so pleased that you joined us tonight for a very exciting story. It's the story about how Goodwill Industries of Arkansas has changed the lives of hundreds of our fellow Arkansans. All
2: right, that's Donna Axum, who was crowned Miss America in 1964. Let's move into the 1980s and
3: 1982. Elizabeth Ward. uh, Right. She was Miss Arkansas in 1981. And, well, here's an archive report from KETV's Leslie Doubleday uh, on Elizabeth Ward's crowning as Miss Arkansas.
10: The new Miss Arkansas is 20-year-old Elizabeth Ward of Russellville. Miss Ward is 5 feet 8 inches tall and weighs 129 pounds. She won the swimsuit competition Friday night. She was also first runner-up to Miss Arkansas 1980, Lynn Cola Sullivan. Elizabeth Ward attends Arkansas Tech in Russellville. She hopes to go on to the University of Arkansas to study law.
8: Miss Ward, who studied piano for
10: nine years and voice for two years, sang you're gonna hear from me and don't rain on my
2: parade. really problematic that that report starts with her
3: height and weight right yeah That's weird it, well it was almost like uh, describing some sort of yeah um, criminal
2: I mean it's it, it it does look it does point at some of the in my view, some of the big problems with this whole environment of pageantry,
3: right? Um, in some some people's view, and right. it was also in this is what I found. Um, and I talked to all three. Um, you know, I knew Donna, mm-hmm. and um, I spoke to both Elizabeth and coming up savvy but i i I found three generations, and there's a difference in the way I think the pageants were viewed uh, in these different generations and and it was like speaking to anyone of you know that are twenty thirty years right. apart, different outlooks uh on life mm-hmm. and uh especially this type of pageant, and you'll hear this uh, coming up. I talked to Elizabeth Grayson, right? Uh, Elizabeth Ward Grayson, uh, last week at her film production office in California. She's moved out to California, and she's a former actress and now a documentary uh, film director. And she talked first about the benefits of being involved in pageants.
11: I was you know, a small-town girl, and it afforded me the opportunity to travel over you know, 200,000 miles in that one year alone, and I got to see most of the United States, and I'm not sure that anything like that would have ever happened to me uh, otherwise, and I think that was great for me. Um, it sort of changed the trajectory of what I wanted to do. I was an accounting major, I planned to go to law school at the time, and after a year of performing pretty much every day. This is when Miss America was, you know, in the early 80s, it was high flying. There was lots of money, big sponsors. Um, mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I I was booked every day, uh, every day of my life. And um, I was performing every day on stage. So I kind of got that performance bug. And after I took a little time off after that year was over, I decided to move to New York. And that's where um, the scholarship money that I, that I won from Miss America, it afforded me, the, you know, I was able to move to, to the city and to enroll in all sorts of classes, acting classes, photography classes. Um, so that part of it, education-wise, was um, very beneficial, life education and just, you know, seeing a, a wider angle lens on the world.
3: All right. Benefits, but... Well, yeah, she um, immediately uh, spoke of some of the drawbacks. And it was kind of ironic that um, the benefits that it afforded her uh, later became drawbacks.
11: Well, it's very interesting because when I moved out to L.A. after studying um, in New York, um, I never had Miss America on my resume because it was such a detriment to uh, walk into a room with people knowing that about you, if you're an actor, because you're, you know, you're usually entering your room trying to be a character. So if they know that about you, then it was, it was, you know, very difficult to it, it's such, especially at that time, it was such an iconic image. So they had to sort of sift through that before they could get to me as a person or me as an actor or me as a character. So it was never on my resume. So in a way, It didn't help me with acting career. Um, Uh I would usually spring that little fact on people once I'd get a job and I might be sitting in the makeup chair getting ready to go on. And, of course, it was a very kitschy sort of surprise for people. And then it was fun, Hmm. but it would never help me actually get a job.
2: And let's continue uh, with another portion from your conversation with with Elizabeth Grayson
3: that's really telling. That's true. These were a little harsher words. Um, She did tell me that – you know, as she mentioned, she was from a small town, and uh, it opened up the world to her basically. And I asked her about the influence on her life as a you know as a child, and she said that she had, was only involved in pageants for two and a half years, hmm. which would have meant one year as Miss Arkansas, one year as Miss America. So she did not she was not one of these children. Right uh with a pageant mom that, that was was up there since she was five. Um as a matter of fact, she was discovered uh by a man named Randy Dimmitt mm-hmm. from Russellville, who owned a clothing store who was very involved with the pageants and he discovered her at the Whataburger Feltner's. in Russellville. Yeah. Yes. She was going to school at Arkansas Tech and he came in he said there was a spot in a pageant, uh, Miss White River, and was wondering if she could, she could do it. And she did, and she won, and then she won, and then she won again. But she does not have fond memories or uh, feels that um, pageants may not be a good thing for uh, young people. Yes,
11: I feel like uh, pageants are not necessarily they're not a great thing for young women. I mean, I know a lot of people take advantage of it, and I'm very grateful to uh, what I was given through the systems. but I think um, the objectification of women I mean it just sort of started that process for me um, you know year ten years later, I ended up kind of objectifying myself doing playboy, and I don't know it's taken me a long time to. Sort through all of the the pros and cons of being exposed to that sort of competition with women and uh, being objectified and doing it to myself and you know it's been it's been a process so it's good in many ways and it was bad in many ways and it's taken me a lot of time to recover from aspects of it.
3: So you heard her talking about objectifying herself. Mm-hmm. She's referring to uh, posing in Playboy in 1992. Uh, which did give her a lot of exposure, a lot of
2: Publicity. Yes.
3: Um, And it was also that year that she snagged a recurring role in the USA Network series Highlander, Mm. which was on the air for six seasons. Now she's, like I said, a documentary filmmaker – and she's actually working on a film on Lee Merriweather. Do you remember her? The I actress? do. She was a Miss America. That's right. Okay, so you want to go to the, the, the next generation? Yes.
2: And the new Miss America is
5: Miss Arkansas. <clears throat> Savvy Shields.
3: Savvy Shields. Savvy Shields' wolf. Uh, is the daughter of our former boss, yeah. Todd Shields. who's now chancellor at Arkansas State University. That's correct. She's married, living in New York, and I spoke to her last week. Now, she has a very positive outlook, um, and it may have to do with the amount of time that, you know, Elizabeth Ward had been away from it and, mm-hmm. um, But she is still very involved, Savvy is, uh, with the pageants and uh, plans to come back this year for the Miss Arkansas pageant. But here are some of the takeaways that Savvy had.
10: So one of the biggest things that I gained from the system was an entirely newfound sense of self and sense of confidence. The amount of work that it takes to... uh, not just prepare, but, but to compete and then to do the job is, is amazing. And the skills that I attained from that career, I'll, I'll never be able to – I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else from learning to public speak uh, on, on a whim, <laughs> learning to put myself in positions that I didn't necessarily feel comfortable, but then I would, you know it, – it's really amazing how what we perceive as our limitations Really are just are just guidelines that our fear sets in place. But I think one of the biggest things that I learned from competing in pageants was the newfound sense of, of confidence and an ability to kind of back the ambition that I had with a sense of purpose.
3: Well, we talked earlier about Donna Axum, and you know she was the first of the three to be crowned uh, Miss America, and she was always a strong supporter of the pageants. I mean, I saw her—KATV was the pageant station, the Miss Arkansas station, and so I would spend time in Hot Springs uh, when the pageant was going on, and— she was always there. Donna was always there behind the scenes helping out. And as a matter of fact, uh, Elizabeth Grayson said that Donna had coached her when she was going in. And um, she actually had some advice for Savvy Shields, who had just been crowned. She'd been at it for about a month and seemed overwhelmed at the time. And And talk to Donna about it.
10: And then she goes, but no matter what you do, make sure you bring it all back to Arkansas. And that was her piece of advice. Everything, and even when I called her, you know, multiple times during the year to ask her for for more pieces of advice, she would say, what are you doing to bring it back to Arkansas? What are you doing to bring it back to the state? And I just, it was such an amazing thing that kept me, kept in my life, not just when I was Miss America, but, but far beyond that as well, thinking of things of, You know, I'm the person I am today, and I don't believe I would have become Miss America if I had come from a different state. I think that the fact that I was from Arkansas and it was the Arkansas delegation and the people of Arkansas that were loving on me so well when I was competing is the reason why everything happened the way that it did.
2: Did you at all, because Savvy Shields, you know, it's still within four or five years since she has had her reign as Miss Cameron. Did you ask her also about, you know, some of the things Elizabeth Grayson had to say about her
3: reserv- deep reservations? Yes, and she couldn't disagree more. Mm. Um, she was, had, you know, strongly defended uh, the system. And, um, you know, I asked her, what do you say to people who think it's sexist or have disparaging remarks about how women are treated, and this was her
6: response.
10: Have you met someone with competition and pageants? Have you asked them what all they have done for their community? Have you asked them about their scholarship money? Have you asked them what Miss America even started with? Have you? known, or are you aware that it's the largest scholarship giving organization towards women? <laughs> are you aware that it started the exact same year, women's suffrage, not against it, but in line with it? Uh, I would say, you know, so much of it, and that's goes to say for any stereotype, so much of it is, can be compounded just by, just by meeting someone and talking and hearing a point of view and a story that's not your own.
2: Let's bring up that just a couple of days ago, Randy, uh, the current Miss Arkansas, Ebony Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, was in this studio, sitting where you are, and we talked about the pageant, what it's meant for her, why she got involved. Um, what did she say? Well, I mean, she is the reigning, you know, current right. Miss Arkansas, and, and she thinks it's interesting because, and we'll hear this conversation later this week on Ozarks at Large, she was motivated to be to enter the pageant world because a former Miss Arkansas came to her school. She went K through 12 in Harrison School. Mm -hmm. She and her siblings, the only children of color in the school district at the time, of of Miss Arkansas, and I'm forgetting her name now, who was also uh, a black woman, came and spoke. And that really inspired. Probably Elise Lee It could have been. Right. That inspired Ebony. And as she points out, you know, Harrison has had some god-awful billboards up. Yes. You know, about mm-hmm. white race and everything. And she, as she has pointed out, one of those very billboards that used to have the white supremacy message now has an image of her, a young, you know, 26-year-old black woman who is Miss Arkansas and it says Harrison's first Miss Arkansas. And so she says it was the Miss Arkansas pageant that allowed her to be an image on this billboard that formerly was about white supremacy.
8: And oh, wow. she hopes
2: she's an inspiration to children of all kinds. We'll hear that conversation. So, you know, I think I think it, it's understandable if you pull back to have very mixed emotions about the pageant syndrome uh, system. And maybe it has changed.
3: I don't well, know. Well, I think uh, of course it's changed. Yeah, and um, it's as different to each contestant or each winner. Uh, as the individual themselves, I believe. And talking to three generations, uh, it's very apparent. So, okay, you wanted to close out with um, yes. the Miss America pageant well, from 64? Uh, yes, this is the uh, coverage of the, uh, the broadcast of the crowning of Donna Axum. This was the pageant she was in. And so we're gonna hear the way they closed that program. There were three hosts, all former Miss Americas. There was Marilyn Mm Vanderburn, who was Miss America 1958, Jackie Mercer, 1949, and BB Shop, 1948. And so I guess we can say goodbye with them.
7: I'm sure
11: that wherever Miss America travels during the exciting year ahead, her loveliness will be surrounded and appreciated as it is tonight. For well, the reign of Miss America 1964 begins and our pleasant duty end. Marilyn, it's been a delightful evening with you. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good, Good night, night, Marilyn. Good night, Debbie and Jackie. And from the Miss America pageant in Atlantic City, Good night, everyone. Until
2: next year. All right. That conversation we had, Randy, first aired in May of 2023 again. We had weather and we had misaligned schedules. We couldn't put together a new collection for this Monday show, but we're about to get back to more new editions.
3: Yes, I have a lot of things in the works, a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah. But uh, I think that maybe some true crime. Uh, type stories just to kind of remind folks of some events that have occurred in in Arkansas's more recent past. And uh, we talked about Harry Thomason uh, the week before, who's the director uh, and producer uh, responsible for Designing Women and uh, Evening Shade. And uh, I've, I've talked to him several times, and, and I think a profile on, on Harry Thomason is in order. And
2: he was recently in northwest Arkansas to direct the reboot of Designing Women that took place at Theater Squared.
3: That's correct.
2: All right. So that and many more conversations. Uh, here is to non-inclement weather. Yeah, For the rest of this winter And we'll get back together With some new collections For
3: folks soon Everybody stay warm Thank you Randy
0: Little Wing Productions Presents Los Lobos Coming to City Auditorium In Eureka Springs Saturday March 9th Los Lobos is known For songs like One Time One Night And their 1987 version Of La Bamba Tickets go on sale Friday January 26th At tickets.thundertix.com Los Lobos March 9th At City Auditorium
2: we know you can't always be right by the radio when Ozarks at Large is on, and you might miss something that you wanted to hear. Well, you can always listen to Ozarks at Large on your schedule. We have a free podcast. The Ozarks at Large podcast is available at KUAF.com, at OzarksAtLarge.com, and wherever you're already getting your other podcasts.
4: From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkans. Songs. <laughs> Jesse Belvin was indeed the whole package, a talented, handsome singer, songwriter, and arranger. Some of Belvin's best-known songs include Earth Angel, Dream Girl, Guess Who, and Goodnight My Love. His most lasting impact as a prolific mastermind behind West Coast doo-wop music may never be fully calculated, as he was careless with credits and publishing rights. Also sketchy are his birth origins, possibly Texarkana in 1933 or San Antonio, Texas in 1932. By the late 1950s, Belvin had signed a solo deal with major label RCA Victor, the company's PR team began a campaign branding Jesse Belvin after his RCA label mate as the Black Elvis. With a major label solo deal and a big tour set for 1960, the new decade must have seemed full of opportunity for Belvin, but it wasn't to be. Belvin died in a fiery crash in Hempstead County the morning following a showcase concert in Little Rock. He'd been en route to another show in Fort Worth, Texas. Although Belvin is only on the cusp of solo fame, his musical contributions, especially in doo-wop, were acknowledged in the tribute song heard here goodbye Jesse Belvin by the legends
5: and they
9: blow, you point to okay oh, baby what's the matter with you baby 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 what's the matter with you baby 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 What's the matter with you? Baby, 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 baby. What you gonna do? Sugar,
4: sugar, the February 5th, 1960 Little Rock concert was at Robinson Auditorium downtown. It was billed as the first rock and roll show of 1960. Headlining the big cavalcade of entertainment stars was Jackie Wilson. Wilson was the only performer to merit a photograph in the Arkansas Gazette newspaper advertisement. Also appearing were Bobby Freeman, Marv Johnson, and Baby Washington. Arthur Prysock, Nappy Brown, Bobby Lewis, and Willis Jackson rounded out the bill with newly minted major label solo star Jesse Belvin near the bottom. Tickets were $1.75. It's long been whispered that Belvin's car accident happened as a result of his car being tampered with and that that occurred as a result of tension due to the show being among the first racially integrated at the venue. But the concert was segregated by skin color. In fact, the concert was actually two concerts, a 6.50 p.m. show for whites and an 8 p.m. show and dance for Negroes the ad in the Gazette, didn't bother mentioning the late show.
9: Good night, my love. Pleasant dreams and sleep tight, my love.
4: Nothing has ever been proven regarding any malfeasance in the Jesse Belvin accident. Belvin and his entourage weren't the only persons of note to perish in the two-car crash either. Max Gene Knoll was a deep-sea diver of renown based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, According to the Arkansas Gazette, he had been recently planning a second try at salvaging a Dutch motorship in Lake Michigan. The Gazette reported Arkansas State Trooper Dwight Pankey as saying the Cadillac carrying the Belvins was in the wrong lane that morning when it collided with the other vehicle. The Knoll's car burst into flames. A passing motorist was able to pull one from the blazing car, but both Mr. and Mrs. Knoll died at the scene. So did Charles Ford, 34, of New York City, who was in the Belvin vehicle and Belvin himself. Belvin's 25-year-old wife, Joanne, and another entertainer in the Belvin car, Kirk Davis, were taken to Texarkana for treatment, but died of their injuries. Traffic was blocked on U.S. Highway 67 for nearly two hours as the Hope Fire Department extinguished the blazing wreckage. The accident occurred six miles west of Hope.
9: Good night, my love. Blessing dreams.
4: Decades after his Hempstead County death, just as he was seemingly poised for bigger things, Texarkana's Jesse Belvin is indeed known around the world, albeit mostly by deep fans of American doo-wop. Here in his entirety is Love of My Life, an unissued song demo by alleged Texarkana native Jesse Belvin, who died in Hempstead County in 1960, the morning following a Little Rock concert.
9: Ernie, I think you like this. <laughs> love of my life you're the heart and soul of my life you're the dream i dream each night my love will never change Oh, you are the one Heaven sent you and met you for me And I know my love for you Will never ever change I'd trade the world for you, and all its gold, there's nothing I wouldn't do. I'd even go to Mars, and bring you back the stars, there's nothing I wouldn't do. Love of my life, you're the heart and soul of my life. You're the dream I dream each night. My love will never change.
4: Love of My Life, an unissued song demo by Jesse Belvin, who died near Hope in Hempstead County on February 6, 1960, the morning following a Little Rock concert. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Songs. Songs is a production of Experiment Station Studios.
3: Producer is Keith Merks. Arkansas Songs, since 1998.
6: KUAF's Daily Word Game is a five-letter puzzle available to play right now. As in, T-O-D-A-Y. Ugh. Okay, you might get the word if you listen to the Ozarks at Large A-U-D-I-O. Okay, okay. Maybe it's because I forgot to remind you that you can play the game at KUAF.com or by subscribing to the Ozarks at Large newsletter that shows up in your email, I-N-B-O-X. Well, maybe you'll have better luck than me. Go try your luck today. Ozarks
0: at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. Contributors to today's show include... Daniel Carruth, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. The Underwriting Director here at KUAF is Ryan Versi. You can keep up with Ozarks at Large on your schedule in a few different ways. You can go to OzarksAtLarge.com and find the individual stories and full episodes of the show, past and present. You'll also find ways to subscribe to the podcast version of this show, as well as subscribe to our daily newsletter that lands in your email inbox every morning during the week. Both of those free of charge. Today's show was produced in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Thank you so much for being with us today. For Cal Callums, I'm Matthew Moore. Until
5: next time, be well. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season Saturday, February 17th at Walton Arts Center with Defying Expectations, showcasing three works that push beyond barriers from Darius Mio's Eclectic Style to Louise Ferranc's Bold Third Symphony and Max Brooks' acclaimed violin concerto featuring Sona concertmaster Winona Fifield. Tickets at sonamusic.org. The exhibit Annie Leibovitz at Work is closing soon at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville. It features daring portraits for Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, and Vogue, as well as new portraits made just for Crystal Bridges. Only open until January 29th. Tickets at crystalbridges.org.